Mouse. Are you recording? Absolutely. Did you think we'd ever do this ever again? I knew we would. I didn't no, know. You didn't. I didn't know it would be today. I forced this. It is as I force most things in our life su- to happen. It is Sunday, April fifth, twenty twenty. It has been approximately a year and a half since our last show. I thought it was longer than that. No, the last one was in September of twenty eighteen. What what did we what was it on? What do you think? Fashion Week. I'm gonna guess it was about J. Crew, the Apple Watch and Fashion, and Week. Fashion Week. Let's see. And oh, and you go to some conference in September, some Apple thing, so it's probably had to do with that. Oh, here we go. September sixteenth, twenty eighteen. The new Apple Watch, the latest at Blue Bottle, and the future of J. Crew. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have our beats, you know. Uh which is funny because the previous episode, which was Almost a year before that, in September 2017, was about Everlane's new denim, the new Apple Watch Series 3, and J. Crew's take on Uniqlo cashmere. <laughs> and we could talk about all three of these things today. The, I would prefer not to. The good news is we're not going to talk about any of those things. I, we're I, back with three new topics. A different third wave of coffee. <laughs> well, maybe. A different basics label. Um for those listening in the future or in the past, we are three weeks in to social distancing, in quotes, essentially not leaving the house except for dog walks and runs. Should we explain what Needle in the Mouse is, or do you think the only people are going to listen to this are people we know? Good point. Why don't you explain it really quickly? All right. Well, now you have the context of the time. We are three weeks deep into the COVID-19 pandemic social distancing quarantine. Uh, But if you didn't, if you weren't listening to the previous 47 episodes, you would know that I'm Dan Fromer and that's Lauren Sherman. And my technical name is Lauren Fromer, but yes, I don't use it for SEO purposes. (laughs) We're podcasting at our kitchen table in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Different kitchen table than the last time we recorded. True. Thankfully. We moved since then. The last place was a one bedroom that now, thinking about living there, it was so small. Remember when we moved in and we were like, this is so luxurious? Yeah. I mean, the ceilings were tall. The ceilings were... It was a really nice apartment. As I was saying to you the other day, my main concern about being... If we had been stuck there, beyond just like literally sitting on top of each other while we work, the droplets, man, those that bathroom, that bathroom oh, fan. Yeah. Remember, the air would come in from other people's bathrooms. Yeah, remember someone, the smoker. Yeah, there was cigarette smoke. There was like uh, some sort strong of strong food, uh, strong food, and incense and all that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. So, can you imagine the the droplet? transfer that would have been possible well just being in an apartment building and you you are around more people there's no what there's no six feet of distance in that hallway no even though it's a really nice apartment and but i'm i'm super grateful that we live here because same we moved much deeper into brooklyn so we could get a bigger place for about the same price a little bit more or whatever like most 
getting older people. We needed space. Mm-hmm. And so now we have a two-floor apartment. Home with, office. With an office and a bedroom and a whole floor. So we're not... The thing is, we both worked from home quite a bit. Yeah. Previously. So I think that part of it, we are better off. But generally, I feel extremely, extremely hashtag blessed. Yes. Because we have a lot of natural light. We have a backyard, all that stuff, even though we really can't go outside because there's tons of people out Yeah, and we don't want to get the vids. So. Ralfred is here. He enjoys the yard. Hopefully he won't bark too much during the show. Um, and anyway, so if you're just joining us and you've survived the last five minutes, um, we talk about the intersection of technology and fashion, or as we say, the fashion of technology and the technology of fashion. Well, you say that. <laughs> By the way, sorry for my uh, hoarseness. I've been cleaning <laughs> dust traps on air filters today, and don't do that ever. Um, just throw them out and get a Are new you one. High? No. Okay. Um, <clears throat> not yet. Also, uh, since our last show, I have a new job. Lauren doesn't. No. Um, I'm. I. I don't think I can ever leave my job. It's way too good. She, Lauren is still in a great job. Um, I started a new publication since we last spoke called The New Consumer, covering how and why people spend their time and money. It's a subscription newsletter uh, twice a week, guaranteed. Sometimes I do a third piece. should be doing that more frequently. Um, covering the intersection of technology and consumer. I write a lot about direct-to-consumer brands, Apple Watches, J.Crew, Actually, I haven't written about J. Crew yet, I don't think. But if you like this show, you should check out my newsletter at newconsumer.com and uh, jump on the monthly subscription while I'm still offering it. It's a COVID-19 experiment to see if, um, see if that's good or bad. But anyway, check it out, the new consumer at newconsumer.com. As always, email me with any questions or whatever. And... Um, and maybe let's get on with the show. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this show was kind of the start of New Consumer. Absolutely. Yeah. It's basically. For years, I thought we should monetize this show. Yeah. And, and make I am. it a quarterly publication. And you and are. I am. And you are. Yeah. Through the beauty of membership software and MailChimp newsletters. Uh, oh, also, if you haven't subscribed to my other newsletter, Points Party, about airline points, which no one is probably thinking about right now. Pointsparty.com. Well, actually, it's a, I mean, you, you publish that very infrequently, but it's a good time, I think, to do something about that. Yeah, I'm going to do something soon. Okay, so maybe next Jump weekend. on it. It's free. Pointsparty.com. At Put any rate, in your schedule. seven minutes in. I'm also Lauren, the managing editor of, of The New Consumer. <laughs> unofficial managing editor. You're, as you are my unofficial copywriter, copy editor. Exactly. So we, we, we trade. Um, trade I don't skills. know how often we'll be doing this show, but now that we've done it once, maybe we'll do it more again, and we'll talk about whatever you want. You can always send us topics and questions on Twitter at Needle and Mouse or uh, hello at theneedleandthemouse.com is our email. But today, Lauren has topics. Yeah, I have a an outline for us to go over. What's first? So, speaking of newsletters... We both 
work for publications. You own a publication. I work for a publication that the newsletter is like the biggest driver of engage engagement. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I hate that word, but like, is there a not jargony word other than engagement? Mm, usage, attention, whatever. It's, it's the main way people interact yeah. That's with our publications. And so, you know, BOF has a bunch of different ways, but it, to me, the newsletter, it's been interesting. I launched a news newsletter just talking about what I was working on while I was a freelancer for many years. And that was an interesting experiment. I still publish it like twice a year, maybe, maybe I'll do more now that we can't leave the house, but I am just obsessed with the sticking power or lasting power of newsletters. It's incredible. Yeah. Our friends, Claire and Erica, who have a podcast that's really, really good. And they are just essentially experts on everything. And former guests on this show, I used to own a business called of a kind that was, you know, a collection of products that they would pick out. And I'm not explaining it very eloquently, but the, the site was acquired by Bed Bath & Beyond a few years ago, and then Bed Bath & Beyond, long before the pandemic, was already in trouble like many retailers, and they closed the site down. So now Claire and Erica, unfortunately, it was very sad because we used to spend a lot of money on there. Like Everything was pretty much under 200 bucks. really cool stuff for men, women, Great home. Site. They have really, really good taste, and you know, Claire and Erica are the people who I needed. We needed a called a paper, paper towel, towel holder uh, thing and you know i i feel like we're both pretty good researchers but the first thing i did was just text them and of course there were a couple Within moments yeah there were a couple that they had that they suggested that i had already decided no on for multiple reasons but the one that we ended up getting i would have eventually found it but they are just so good they're just such good buyers. It's crazy. It's really. I have perfect, a whole business uh, that I holder. think that they need to do post. Post. Uh, I've already discussed it on Instagram Live. If you if you caught my Instagram Live chat with our friend Britt, but I have a whole business. I think they should do anyway. They did an entire episode dedicated to newsletters. I don't think we should do that. No, their new show is called A Thing or Two. Yes. Their new podcast. And they also have a newsletter. And at if you claireanderica.com. Yeah, you should sign up for it. They send it out once a week. It's just recommendations. Some of it is stuff to buy. Some of it's stuff to read. Some of it's stuff to watch. Their taste level is just, they just, it's so good. It's not that they're like super, super highbrow. It's, it's like, it's not middlebrow. It's a mix of highbrow, middlebrow, lowbrow, brilliant, highbrow, despicable, like, all of that Neutral stuff, good. it's just so good. I, I love good. everything they have to say. They make me think. They're really great people. But they did a whole news um, podcast about newsletters, and I thought there were just a couple that I've really been enjo- enjoying during this period. Can I zoom out for a second period. first? Sure. The reason that everyone talks about newsletters so much now, I think, is really interesting for a few things, if we could get meta for a second. Sure. One is that in this era of constant bombardment of options of for things to pay attention to, Instagram, Twitter, all these things where you can just pull your thumb down and get something new to look at, 
newsletters are really interesting because they are pushed to you. You're not pulling for them in a place that every single person, no matter how busy they are, no matter how important they are, still looks all the time, which is their email. Yes, Google filters it a little bit. But part two of why they're so interesting is that beyond the protocols involved, IMAP and SMTP. Ralfred, no. That's Ralfred. Ralfred will talk a few Ralford, times during the, the show. The bird does not, is not interested in you. The bird doesn't want you. Okay. Um, it's not controlled by any platform like Facebook, Twitter, Google. Well, asterisks. Hold on. I'll go back to Google. Um, they don't control. Facebook doesn't control who gets to see your newsletter or whether people read it. Um, it's not sorted through their algorithm. Google has a little control in that Gmail is the biggest of the free email providers. So, you know, in theory, they can tweak you at some point and um, stick you in the in the promotions tab or something like that. Yeah. But other than that, email is a really pure way of, of building a publication of a brand, of a media brand, and of a product. And I think all those things combined also is really easy to create. Um, you don't need a lot of tools. You don't need to learn how to make to edit videos. You don't need much equipment. Um, and I think that's why email, even though it's a, you know, decades old technology has really seen a renaissance lately, even as, you know, you, you, yes, you could easily build a big website and do all this kind of stuff as well. But, um, for all those reasons, I just said, email has been a really interesting thing. And again, while it's an old technology and while some news, I've been on, you know, a couple of newsletters for 25 years at this point, um, which is pretty crazy to think about a word a day. I think I've been on a word a day for 25 years. Anyway, email is, is, has been having a moment. We could talk more about it another time, but that's just my zoom out meta business analysis portion of this. And now we will get to whatever Lauren wants. Well, I would like to add to oh, that. Please do. I have thoughts also. Yes. Great. Um, I, I do think, I mean, the next generation of users and how user behavior changes with people who are like under 22 right now or under 20 because they just DM and message. They don't use email to do any sort of actual exchange, human exchange. And I feel like even for me with work stuff, it's less and less frequent than I'm sending. I'm even WhatsApping with, with publicists and what have you. So the the use case for emails may change. Right now, it's still super valuable, and I think for the next 10 years at least, it's just something to think about. Yeah. That, But I think you're right. It's passive. It's coming at you. I still really enjoy it. I still get a bit of a high off of it, just being even just like deleting emails. So, Do you swipe or do you do the batch? I swipe. Yeah. Well, it depends. If I'm on on the laptop, then I do the batch. Mm, but yeah. if I'm on my phone, I just do swipe. Nice. But yeah, and I have three different email accounts for three different purposes. One is for work stuff. One is like very, very specifically for fun entertainment stuff. And then the other one is just the one I've had for a long time. And so it's kind of a mix of all three. Yeah. But yes, I agree. So what I wanted to do, I don't want to spend this whole episode talking about this stuff, but I did want to call out just a couple newsletters Great. that I think 
are a little bit newer and, and maybe you can add to this list. So the first one is a thing or two with Claire and Erica. You need to sign up. It's so good. I just love it. I buy stuff so much, but also... What's the format? They do, and they were really... I don't know if they... They certainly weren't... I'm sure they weren't the first people to do this, but they really popularized it, I'd say, with a certain demographic of people. And Mm. with a lot of commerce brands use the format. So they do a tiny intro, one or two sentences at the top, and then Claire... Erica does her things first because Claire usually writes the intro. And so it's just 10 items hmm. or maybe it's, it used to be called 10 things. Now it's just a thing or two. Um, but I'm not sure if they stuck with exactly 10, but it's just a sentence with a link and you have to link through to really get fully what it's about, but it's a mix of stuff. It's books that they've just read. It's, articles that they've read it's home stuff that they like it's kids stuff that they like it's inspiring stories it's you know it's just everything i think they did cool stuff yeah like last week erica linked to and anyone who's tried to search for anything on etsy knows it's just impossible and every time i go on there i i just think I actually always think, why don't they hire Claire and erica to manage Mm -hmm. their but i just i don't understand tech wise why their discovery they've never i'm sure that on i don't know and i've never reported on etsy so i'm sure that this is an internal struggle but their discovery is just so horrendous and if they had a better discovery mechanism it would be i bet their sales will be so much higher Mm. i would buy stuff on there all the time it's so hard to find anything like i i do needlework and cross stitch sometimes and right now obviously it's a good time to do that but to find interesting patterns or kits is just impossible. And so I've never, I've never used Etsy. They have amazing stuff. Yeah. They have so much, they have a lot of really good clothes. Everybody right now wants the Agnes B, which is not how you say it in French, French, French. It's not how you say it in French, but they all, everybody wants these snap front cardigans. Mm. Amelia Petrarca at the cut wrote a really good essay on it. She's a, a fantastic writer, but I really want one. I was, we were doing a happy hour and Erica had one on and she, I don't know where she got hers, but she said, Oh, there's tons of vintage ones on Etsy. Hmm. So you just, there's so much stuff on there, but it's really hard to find. So Erica found all these amazing lamps and I don't know what search she did, but she did some sort of keyword that just like five pages of incredible lamps came up and I wanted every single one of them. Wow. And she linked to that in her newsletter and that's the kind of stuff that there's just no one else is going to do that. It's just not. Muffins are done. Yes. Um, they, they just have a very particular skill and, and I think also men and women. It's yeah. not super all stuff for girls, but but since they started this, I mean, maybe a decade ago, they've done this newsletter for a really long time. I've seen a lot of commerce companies that are more of a kind was special because it was 50% content, 50% commerce long before that was an idea. I've seen a lot of commerce like multi-brand retailers or even designers do a similar format and i know i'd say 
80% of them were directly inspired by Claire and Erica because I know that they know them. I mean, and if we did a newsletter for this podcast, it would be in that format exactly. as well. Yeah. And, and they're both really, really good writers in, they're just so great. They're really good copywriters, which is a skill that I think, especially now we're getting so much email marketing. You can tell how bad most people are at copywriting. Horrible. And they're both tremendous at it. I have a million ideas of, of what their next business should be. But Anyway, check it yeah. out. That's one of them. Another one that I that just started back up this morning is Gossamer's High Praise. And so Gossamer is this publication, media company, product company, all of, it's essentially for people who smoke weed. Who also smoke who weed. Who also smoke weed. So it's not it's not linear. Like you're not gonna get um reviews of all the different weed strains. Which to be Garlic honest, I think cookies. that I think that is an incredible opportunity and if I was more entrepreneurial, I, I don't really smoke weed or eat weed. I don't really like it. But if I did, th- there needs to be a better solution for that. There is well, no. If we ever moved to LA, there needs to be a Rolling Stone of of weed where you you have reviews of every single item, where to get them, all that stuff. Someone needs to do a good job and make it stylish, and it would be huge. And I don't understand why no one has attempted that. But anyway, Gossamer is. Not that exactly. It's more lifestyle. It's sort of like what has happened to high maintenance, where the weed is like not the story. It's the it's the it's what ties everything together. Yeah, but it's not the focus. Yeah. So our friends Verena and David put this together, and they started it with this weekly newsletter. But then the weekly newsletter kind of dropped off, and they just started it back up again. Nice. And it's. In a similar format to Claire and Erica's, but, you know, obviously their point of view and, again, really, really love their way of looking at the world and enjoyed it this morning. A third one that I really like is Garage Weekly. So Garage Magazine, it's owned by Vice Media, but it's this art magazine owned by this woman, Dasha Zukova who is married, or she was, I don't know if she still is, I don't want to get into gossip, but to a Russian oligarch, one of the really, really famous ones. Forget his name. No idea. You know him. Is it him. Garish, though? It's not Garish. It's not, she's not British. No, the magazine. Uh, I call it Garage. Oh, cool. Do you, have you heard people refer to it as Garish? I think you have. I've never done that. Yeah. No, that's how British people say garage. I think you have. No, I have anyway, I never get this, said that. I get that. this newsletter too, although I think the guy who writes it just is He just, just left. But the thing is he, he – Garage Weekly. It's, it's definitely not garage. Yeah, so she was married to – Oh, she's married to a Greek shipping heir now, Stravos Niarchos. But she used to be married to Roman Abramovich. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's like <clears throat> real famous, yeah. Anyway, she's she seems cool. I don't know her personally, but she's very deeply involved in the fashion world. And they do this weekly recommendations on Sunday morning. Mark, who's the editor-in-chief, is leaving. He's going to Vogue. He used to work at Vogue. He's going back there. But Laya, who is their features director, who's super amazing, fantastic writer, fashion thinker, all that stuff. She's super, she's very involved in the newsletter as well. So I'm sure they'll keep doing it. I don't know if 
she, I don't know who's getting that job, but uh, again, this is way too inside baseball, but, um, it's a great, they, they have one pick from each staff member. Their staff is really small. It's like six or seven people. And so it's not, I've, when, when there, we could go outside, they had really good art recommendations. So Mm. places, the only place you can really in New York find out what's happening in the galleries is in the New Yorker, which is great and very comprehensive, but it's nice to have that more nuanced point of view. And there are a couple little gallery shows that we went to over the last couple months that I found through them. Cool. Um, and then they just have their, it's fun. Like they have silly things. They have uh, this week, there was some like Snoop Dogg series on MTV in the nineties. Do you remember this? Oh, their fashion director recommended that mm. they, it, it's very laid back, relaxed. Some of it is more things you wouldn't have heard of. Some of it's unearthing things that you probably haven't thought of in 10 years. And I just really like it. It's, it's nice. It comes out Sunday mornings. And then the final one is public announcement, which comes from our friends, Chris black. And what's his business? James name? Ellis, James Ellis. And, Chris is, I would say, one of the top aggregators of <laughs> hashtag content I have ever known. That's on his business card. He is so good at finding good stories, good music, good whatever. He is also a smart ass and says a lot of jerky things on Twitter if you would like to follow him. but Enough that he once made a book of all the things he oh, said Oh, yeah. Twitter, that's true. Which is somewhere. I... I have wanted him to make a newsletter for years, and I truly think he could charge for it. Like, I would pay five bucks a month, or maybe not five, but a, a buck a month or whatever to pay to read his. Well, we would pay five. Some people would pay yeah, one. Yeah. But I think it's so good. Like, especially now Twitter's so crowded, it's really hard to see what he's looking at. And. I find it extremely valuable, and I've they've just started doing the newsletter the last couple weeks, yeah, or maybe the last week, and it's been really good. I also find a lot of music from Chris because I'd say that in the last decade, that's the thing that I haven't haven't kept up with the most. Hmm. As I've gotten older, the I just listen to the same stuff over and over again, and discovery of music, whereas TV, film, fashion, whatever, it's always been food it's really important to me to keep discovering new things music it's been harder Hmm. and so i think chris has interesting taste and i i like looking at that so those are mine are there any that you're looking at right now that that you want to add yeah i mean since starting a newsletter i've subscribed to dozens um you know a to just kind of see what other people are doing and also b because uh, I actually really enjoy them as a format. And I would say a few of them come to mind. One is uh, my friend Colin and Noah's called Why Is This Interesting? Question mark. Yeah, it's really good. And it comes out every day. It's free. And it's basically, um, you know, two minutes worth of reading, three minutes worth of reading on a single topic, um, ranging from tech to travel to everything uh science economics usually written by um colin or noah or contributors including me 
or uh, Felix Salmon or uh, a bunch of people. Um, that's one. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, the writer Edith Zimmerman's Drawing Links. I think, yeah. I think that's what it's called, um, in which she draws cartoons, <laughs> two of which have also featured me. It's very cute. Um, it's very cute. She draws cartoons about her life or sometimes other people's lives or stories and also includes links for stuff to read. I've enjoyed that a lot over the past few months. Um, I should mention my friend. This is all coming full circle. My friend Craig Maud has, has two great <laughs> newsletters. And it has also been featured in Edith's Edith, newsletter. Yeah. And probably Collins as well, has Prob- he? Maybe not yet. Um, CraigMod.com. He writes one newsletter about um, design and tech and cameras and a second newsletter, Ridgeline, about walking, specifically walking in Japan. Um, He and I have kind of been in touch a lot about our membership programs that we run and um, just taped a session of his podcast that will air sometime in the next few weeks. So anyway, check his stuff out at CraigMod.com. Those are the... Those are three that I read very closely. I also really um, have enjoyed Monocle's morning newsletter, which they've really been iterating recently, including launching the weekend edition, which is very good. Monocle Magazine dot whatever their website is, monocle.com probably. And um, still love Manufactum, which is this German department store, uh, very high-end, semi-ridiculous newsletter i love when they get into like gardening equipment or very strange kitchen stuff that like just is so german and is probably not the sort of thing that we would ever buy (laughs) but it is very funny to look at i always get excited when it comes um what else uh this is now all improvised off the top of my head i will stop in five seconds yeah next time if i have any more to share i will but most importantly, subscribe to the New Consumer. New Consumer. Yeah, no, you got to subscribe to that. Great. And if you don't already subscribe to Business of Fashion, please do that please as well. Do. But I would assume that you do. Yeah, it, uh, it pays the rent. Pays the rent. Literally. So, okay. The next thing I wanted to do was talk a little bit about podcasts because a bunch of new podcasts are launching right now. Mm. But. No one's listening to podcasts. There's probably like seven people are going to listen to this podcast. Yeah. You know? Why? Can you talk a little bit about what's happening with pods right yeah, I now? Yeah, I did a piece about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, commuting is down anywhere from like 80 to 100%. So uh, podcast listening, a lot of that happened while people are driving, while they're commuting to work. Um, and so one of the interesting kind of unexpected perhaps effects of the pandemic and social distancing has been a uh, pretty substantial drop in people listening to podcasts. Uh, I wrote a piece about this a couple of weeks ago, got some stats. Um, the first couple of weeks, it looks like engagement, hashtag engagement is down about 20% on weekdays. Now, I guess that's not terrible considering that commuting is down 80 to a hundred percent or whatever it is. So, um, I think long-term podcasting still has a, has a very bright future. I think that uh, on-demand digital content is going to, you know, digital audio is going to continue to take market share from radio and satellite radio and stuff like that. But it has been interesting to see 
a little bit of a decline. That said, not all shows are declining. Like news shows have still been growing a lot. People are obsessed with the news right now. Everyone wants to learn about more what's going on with with the disease, what's going on, you know, the, the secondary and tertiary effects of it. So news shows have been huge this year. Um, kids shows have been really popular, makes which sense. makes sense. You know, got to give the kids something to do here. Go sit in the corner and listen to a podcast. And then um, according to PodTrack, the service that had has been publishing these stats, um, fiction shows, which had been dropping, actually picked up over the last couple of weeks. So that's kind of interesting. Perhaps some sort of escapism and, you know, unrelated. I started reading my a, a novel for the first time in three years recently. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't like it. So I'll probably stop reading it. But... What was the not the most recent novel you can remember reading previous to that? I don't uh, remember you ever reading a novel. I I don't remember. I think, well, the one I read last year doesn't count because it's technically nonfiction. That would be um, Devil in the White City. Oh yeah. But before that, the last fiction I read, I really don't know. Yeah, you're not a big fiction person. I don't like it. I don't need it. I'm not either, but I try. I'm trying more. Yeah, I don't need it. I got there's too much nonfiction I want to learn about. Yeah, well, when the nonfiction is so good, it's it's yeah the be- it's the best thing because it feels like a novel, but it's real, so that makes it a million times better. So it's interesting because it's the two extremes: it's the intense real information and the intense escape, and also Podcasting? yeah, mm, yeah, but. I want to talk a bit about our own behavior there. Okay. So I have definitely stopped. I'm basically listening to my podcast like half of half the way through. I'm only listening to parts of them. I'm not listening to the whole thing because I'm only going for runs, I'd say two times a week. And then I'm going for walks without you sometimes, but we're pretty stuck in the house because we're in a very populated area. And so we have to be really careful about, about going outside. And so I did buy a stationary tread manual treadmill, but I've been mostly using that during meetings and not Hmm. for podcasts. This morning I listened to, I listened to this uh, podcast called from NPR called it's been a minute this guy, Sam Sanders, and I only listen to, I don't really like interview podcasts. I don't know if it's because I'm a journalist or what, but generally, unless the, I'd rather, I, I like listening to conversations between two people who are peers. Like Marin? I, I don't mind Marin because he's really, really good. But you listen to him a lot. <laughs> yes. But the thing that I like about Marin is... I don't listen to him as much as I used to, but the th- reason I was really into it for a long time is, first of all, I hated, everybody says they fast forward through the intro. I hated the intro for a long time too, and then I just got used to it. I love and it. what I think, I think the reason I, bec- and I think most people, is he has real conversations with people, yeah. and he gets to, it's all about the creative process with him. He does talk about personal stuff, and he is good at that but it's really about being a creative person and like having trouble getting through that and how do you manage that and that's the part of it that I really connected with but what I don't like are 
journalists interviewing famous people other than Terry Gross. Again, hmm. like Terry Gross, Mark Maron, they're really, really good. What I find annoying is basically anyone else <laughs> who who doesn't who it doesn't have a lot of experience doing it. I just I don't want to hear basically a magazine profile because they're all bad. There are only a few people who are good at magazine profiles. It's the same way that there are only a few people. I also really like Dax Shepard's podcast. Hmm. He also can have a real conversation with these people. So I don't, I, Sam Sanders does an interview on Tuesdays with someone. I don't listen to that. At the end of the week, he does something where he does like a weekly wrap up. He has two other journalists on and they talk about what happened in the news and there's all these segments. It's a very nice podcast. So I've been listening to that, um, on the weekends. This morning I listened to the splendid table, which is this very old American public radio show about cooking this guy, Francis Lamb, who we followed for a long time. Huge fan. He, he is the host now. He took over for, from this woman who had been the host for many years. And it's a bunch of different segments. And he does have on guests, but it's people he's friends with. So he's like very close with Melissa Clark. She comes on. They'll talk about food. They'll talk about some recipe or some idea. And today he had Samin Nosrod on and they are friends and it just felt like a conversation between friends and that I really enjoyed. But the thing that I don't get, so I've been listening to that. The other it's, and Samin Nosrod is launching a podcast, which I'll Hmm. definitely listen to. The other person that just launched salt, fat, acid, heat. Yes. Who's just an amazing human and, interesting if you seems great if you're interested in food culture and cooking and all that she's incredible the other one that just launched is Brene Brown who is you know the power of vulnerability she's become extremely famous she was on Mark Maron and it was truly incredible you should listen to it she just launched a podcast I will listen to that I do not get people who are listening to news podcasts I don't understand it Fresh air is the thing that I fall asleep to every night. Probably not great for you, but it's the way it's the I... It's that keeps me up until uh, it turns off so I the, can fall asleep. The way that I am able to fall asleep is to have noise in the background that's calming so that I'm not thinking my own thoughts. Yeah, How do we ever fall asleep to good eats? I don't know. know. Well, but it's a similar thing. Good Eats, we used to watch No Reservations and Good Eats. Yeah. And it's a similar thing. And it's it was calming, but I didn't have to pay attention to it. But the last week, Fresh Air has been all about the vid, and I can't take it. It's like, mm. this is this happened, that happened, why we're doomed, why we're doomed, why this happened, why that happened. She, uh, Terry Gross actually had Mark Maron on, and they were talking about their anxiety around it. And that was incredible. I really enjoyed that. But for me, I, I listen to NPR in the morning. I'm on Twitter. That's it. That's I am, enough. That's enough. I know what's going on. If something really, really bad happens, it floats up in my Twitter feed. In the morning, I get all of whatever happened the day before and what is happening that morning. That's all they're talking about. 
I do not understand why you would want more information. And I know that different kinds of people have different ways of coping with this kind of stuff. And some people need as much information as possible. And some people don't want any information. And I want to be responsible. In, in an ideal world, I would know nothing only to stay at home. But I know that that's not a responsible way to live. So I am keeping myself updated. But I don't understand that part of it. I get why like a lot of, I listen to a lot of weekly podcasts about pop culture and television and TV and stuff like that. Those I am not listening to as closely because there isn't a lot of new stuff to talk about. And also I just don't have the time. I get that because there just isn't a lot of newness, but what I don't get is why you would want to engage further with this information. Yeah. Like, I mean, if that is perhaps someone's primary source of news, like if they listen to the daily every yeah, day, yeah. I can't deal with that though. I have no interest in that. What podcast have you still been listening to? Um, still listen to Bill Simmons when I run usually. And usually it's his, when he's having a conversation with, a guest who's not in the sports. Like, I don't listen to his sports or betting shows as much as I listen to like when he talks to, you know, an actor or yeah. uh, a musician or something like that. Um, you listened to the Pearl Jam one last week, right? Yeah. Yesterday during the run, it was fine, but I don't need to finish that one. But I really enjoy when he talks to, um, like Malcolm Gladwell or Chuck Klosterman or, um, you know, an actor or something like that. Uh, I don't, yeah. Um, Dave Chang show. I, I like some of those, especially when he's talking about the ins and outs of the restaurant industry. I'm, I'm, you know, a lot of my podcast listening now is learning about new industries that I don't know as much about. Um, there are a couple of food industry ones that I've been listening to. One is called in the sauce and the other one's called food biz whiz. And there's, there's not a lot of like art to them. Like they're very practical and they're about like troubleshooting or like the stories of entrepreneurship and consumer packaged goods and food. Um, which is, again is my job now. So I'm trying to learn as much as I can. Um, so I've been listening to those. Uh, I also, uh, a new one that I picked up over the last year is called Invest Like the Best, oh, yeah. hosted um, by Patrick O'Shaughnessy, who is a um, – he works for his family business in asset management. And um, he just has really good – he's very good at um, getting out of the way and letting the guests talk. And he gets a lot of really interesting guests from the technology and business and investing worlds on there. Highly recommend his interviews with Mike Duda, who's a consumer investor, um, with Bill Gurley from Benchmark Capital, who's one of the greatest venture capitalists and tech in analysts of all time, um, and uh, a few others that he's done. And I've also, I, you know, I, I keep listening to kind of my favorite Mac Nerd podcast, The Talk Show with John Gruber. But other than that, I really have not been listening to a lot of shows at all. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I do listen. Uh, Bill Simmons is like my escape, especially when he's talking to an athlete or something. Actually, his last show with um, J.B. Smoove from Curb was excellent. That yeah. Is, I, w I will I maybe listen Smoove. to that. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, even at home, like back before all this, I would put a podcast on while I'm getting dinner ready or something like that, like long form or accidental tech podcast or something like that. But I just haven't been. Yeah, it's really interesting. I wonder why. We do. I mean, now that we're both here, we've also been putting background music on during the day. Yeah. Um, like jazz or something like that. And so maybe that's enough um, audio engagement for me. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's... But de- my, the fact that I haven't been on a train in a month is really has really cut down on my podcast listening. For sure. I was listening to them the minute I left the house all day long. Anytime I was walking. Yeah. Uh, One other thing. I agree about Invest Like the Best. It's a terrible name. It sounds really hokey. But I listened to that Mike Duda one. I got like 15 story ideas from it. Yeah. So it's it's really good. It's really good for if you also want inspiration or you're a business owner or journalist and you need story ideas. I, I came out of it. I need to start listening to that again. I tend to my... Podcast usage tends to be not related to work because, again, like I need ways to not be involved, but it's good. Um, I, I know we're going way over, but I have two more no, topics. No, we can go forever. This is the beauty of podcasting. We could I do know. this for three hours if yeah. we wanted to. So one thing that I think is really interesting, I want to start talking about consumer behavior and how it's changing right now and how it's going to change in you know, post-pandemic next year or whenever the the economy starts to go, you know, boot starts moving again. So one thing that's been really fascinating is this live stream, this world of live stream. Mm. So this is every type of consumer business is doing Instagram Live or what have you. There's tons of today. Carrie Diamond, who owns the women's media company women and food media company cherry bomb is doing a whole day of programming today on instagram you know my company has started doing tons of programming i'm doing two days a week i'm doing this zoom thing for all of our members where we have people come on and talk about stories and give them advice all that stuff so all this live streaming has become really really big especially in cooking when you think about the consumer channels the consumer categories cooking it's obviously huge to have this stuff and and more live streaming on television i feel like we're seeing comedy specials that sort of thing but the place where it's been the most interesting to me as a consumer and as as a reporter is in fitness Mm. so for the last like two years all i go to tons of boutique fitness classes i i have a class pass pass I have, you know, I run and then I don't really go to the gym. We have, I, I like the YMCA. I take some of their classes, but I never thought of, I don't really work out at home. When we are away, I sometimes use the Nike training app to do physical, like strength training stuff or hit classes. And I actually use that at the Y as well for strength training, but I've never used any other fitness app. I've never considered most of the places that I go to work out, these like funny little boutique fitness courses. So there's a place called Dance Body that I really like. Hmm. This place called Le- L.E.K. Fit 
I call it LecFit, but L-A-K-Fit in L.A. that I love, which has <laughs> uses mini trampolines and does strength training. Then there's um, – I, I go to a bunch of different yoga places, but Sky Ting Yoga in New York – they all have these streaming services where you can access a library of courses for 20 bucks a month or whatever. Never, ever considered once signing up for those because my main form of exercise is running or walking outside or whatever. It just seemed like it would be a waste of money. Obviously, and the other thing is we don't spend that much time at home. Whereas no, most people go do. To, you enjoy going to these studios yeah, it's and fun. stuff. The thing I will say is like in the mornings, sometimes 8 is too late for me, but 7 a.m. is too early. And you're kind of stuck on the schedule of wherever. The, but I really like having people correcting my form and all that stuff. So I've always just spent the money or gone to the Y or whatever. Well, now we can't do that. So... We got a subscription to SkyTing. We got a subscription. I got a subscription to LAK Fit. And then I also got a subscription to this thing called Melissa Wood Health, which is this woman who is a fitness lifestyle health guru online. And she's really popular with postpartum women who have just had babies, things mm. like that. And so a lot of my friends have had kids. I'm familiar with who she is. Hers is only 10 bucks a month. And now I'm using this stuff once a week, once a day. Like other than the days that I go running, I'm doing one of these classes. Yeah, we've turned our kind of living room area into a TV yoga studio. It's so fun. And the thing is, it's so nice because in the morning, if I want to do – say I don't have an hour because I need to get on calls or whatever. They have all these different – they have 20-minute, they have 15-minute, they have – 35 minute and you can do something one day I did like 15 minutes in the morning of one and 20 minutes in the morning after work I mean 20 minutes of another after work so it's just very interesting because all of these services I don't know the unit economics I'm assuming that it even if it becomes really really big it's never going to be the same as having people come into the studio but the the cost is so much smaller I don't really know well the beauty is that they can get theoretically thousands or even tens of thousands of subscribers in other cities where they don't offer in person. So, Um, so you know, they obviously didn't create it for pandemic social distancing, but it certainly is helpful to have it right now. The other thing is actually um, Nike talked about this on their last earnings call where they can't 75% of their stores were closed in China. So they pushed everyone to, their apps. And in fact, in the U S now they're offering 90 days of free access to their premium training app. And that actually helped them drive e-commerce sales. Like yeah. that would have maybe not happened before. Yeah. I actually, I've been using the premium app, which is their normal app. It, they guide you through each exercise, but the premium app is like a video of someone doing it and taking you along. Hmm. And I did end up buying something from Nike. I don't, it wasn't for the workout, but I, I've bought, we bought yoga mats from Lululemon. (laughs) Um, We bought, I bought some strength. I, we bought some weights. Like we bought stuff because we're going to be here a good amount of time. And so even if we were only going to be here for a month, it would have been it, the, 
the amount of money we spent on this stuff would work out that it's it's totally worth it. Yeah, I'll probably but, keep doing yoga here. Well, and because I hate doing it. In, can you let me finish what I was saying? Of course. Thank you. So the interesting thing is, do you remember Tai Bo? Did you ever do that stuff? I remember making fun of it, and yeah. I remember Jay Leno making. I fun was of very it. into it. Jane Fonda I used to do her workout tapes when I was little, when I was like twelve or whatever. All this stuff. I mean, it was it's very very. It was very, very popular for many years, especially in places outside of major cities. Now, everywhere you go, there's a core bar, core yoga or whatever, boutique studio if you want to go to something like that. But I do think – I don't think I'll go to as many classes after this. I think I will – first of all, we've bought stuff. I haven't gone so far as to buy a mini trampoline. But we've bought yoga mats. We bought strength training stuff i bought the stationary i mean manual treadmill that i mean it was 150 bucks but i'm gonna want to use that stuff so and and it's just so much more convenient than walking 15 minutes to a studio and having to go exactly at the time they say and it's an hour-long commitment and a lot of times it runs over and here i can just do it in 47 minutes and get on a call five minutes later if I need to. So I do wonder if that's going to become a bigger and, and which of these streaming services are going to become super popular because this is all word of mouth. None of these companies have money to spend on customer acquisition. Maybe a couple of them have investors that want to spend money on stuff like that, but very few of them. Most of them, their investors are their families. Yeah, I mean, I suppose a lot of the watching is also on YouTube right now, which isn't really generating as much subscription revenue. Well, we wouldn't be generating any subscription revenue for people. The interesting thing about SkyTing is they had a sponsor. And I've seen this a couple times. Recess, which is a CBD soda, sponsored it and i've seen a couple other things like that where where the workouts were sponsored by someone and i'm sure it's not that much money but it's it's a start and also the sky ting workouts the ones that are behind the paywall there aren't that many that are on youtube and the live streams are at noon i can't do that during a work day yeah during the i wanted to do it today but uh, i eat early i like eating at noon we were going to do this. So I'll probably watch that, the one that they did today because it's with one of my favorite instructors. But I'll probably watch it behind the paywall later on today or tomorrow or something like that. So it's really interesting. And that kind of comes to my next next point, unless you have more to say on that, since you're more of a novice to class workouts. I mean, I think the whole point of the the long term of those services is – is people who would not go to their studio either because they live in a different city or they just don't want to, like me. So I imagine that you will probably go back to studios, maybe not as much as you were before, which was a lot, but... Think about it this way. When we go to L.A., I go to LECFIT or L-E-K-FIT, or I go to a ton of those classes. I have to pay for an Uber each way. Some of those classes are $35 a piece. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, when we go to L.A., are we going to have our TV and our Apple TV and all the tools that we need? 
You yeah, might, I mean, you might keep going. But you there's real, also some thrill you, to be there, right? And some some sort of true. Uh, psychological and uh, social element of going as well. For sure, but you can also look at all this stuff on your phone. Yeah, I'm not saying that I won't do it, but there have been so many times with LecFit in particular that I've scheduled a class and something came up with work or I, it was at 8 a.m. on a Saturday and I was like, that was stupid. And yeah. I've canceled it and lost that money. I mean, this and I is think all... that's the kind of stuff that I won't, at least for a while, I won't be as, as careless about. The bigger picture is this gradual and now like, accelerated shift of culture from analog to digital and you know i guess the question you know and it's probably generational too i have no interest in watching people play video games on twitch a lot of you know millions of people watch that sort of stuff the question is like are maybe not rock concerts but like are more events going to move to being virtual events where a global audience can follow the same thing that's happening on a stream and in a chat room as opposed to, you know, offline theaters or venues, that sort of stuff. My guess is that people are still going to want to do a lot of things in person, but there might be enough of a shift and acceleration in that shift that those are also viable, you know, and we've certainly seen that in gaming with Twitch. I don't, again, I don't participate in that, but a lot of people do. It's a huge industry becoming a bigger business as for fitness like it's probably been the best 90 days of of peloton's yeah business ever we'll find out when they do their next earnings but you know and that's a different thing because that's a hybrid there's a physical component to it but it is very virtual too so i don't know what's we'll, like is soul cycle going to come back or is everyone who cares about that going to have switched to peloton these are things that we'll see Gradually over the next year or two, like what bounces back fully, what what is even bigger than before, and then what comes back like, you know, 20 to 50 percent at the rate that it was doing before. And then those businesses are probably screwed. Yeah. And, and also will scheduled events, will specific time live events become a bigger thing again? Did thinking about. I wish there were more TV shows right now that were on at a specific time so that mm. we had a reason. Like yeah. We have to watch this tonight because there's so much available that we watched this really great series on Netflix called Giri, Giri Haji, Haji, which is, I don't know if it's a, it was produced in the UK. I don't know if it was produced for Netflix or one of the UK stations. I think it was BBC. Okay. So Super great. Did get some bad reviews, but I was very surprised. I think it was excellent and really, really well done. We watched one episode a night, and it was so nice because it was, like, very something to look forward to. And we've been kind of, oh, we're going to watch. We watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire last night. We've been, like, very specific about the things we're watching. But there's just so much I don't know where to start in some ways. There are a bunch of series that I've been like saving for when I have extra time on my hands. And I'm like, should we just start watching the Sopranos? I've never watched it all the way through. And Me neither. should we start? Like in the same Maybe. way we watched the wire in in the winter of 2009. It just, I don't know, but it's interesting. I do think and the other thing is for a couple of years, people are going to be more nervous about going out and then that will end. 
And that may, that, that may turn around really quickly. It may not. I think it depends on when there's a vaccine for this and all that stuff, but it is going to change behavior very specifically. And so that's the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. Like looking at the areas of our interests. So food, retail, fashion, looking at what we've been buying during this period, what do you think are some of the permanent changes? We were talking about food yesterday on our run, and then we walked back. We ran all the way to an, a, a park that we're not going to disclose the location because we don't want too many people to know about it, but ran very far to a park, and then we walked back very long so that we were able to get some fresh air and be outside without millions of people around us. And on the way back, we were talking about this, like I'm reading this book by this journalist, James Stewart called Den of Thieves. And it's about the, all the crazy insider trading that was happening in the eighties. And it's amazing. It's so good. I'm completely in love with it, but he makes this offhanded comment. It was published in 91 about how during the eighties theater, restaurants became, theater like it became the place where you go to dress up and see and be seen and all that stuff and it was really the first decade when going out to eat a lot was a huge part of of culture for a broader this was for really wealthy people but for a broader group of people Nora Ephron I think she wrote that many years before he did and then it was also a line in When Harry Met Sally which I just watched on a plane I think on the way home when we came back to the U.S. from London a few weeks ago. and But the thing is, so he was, James Stewart was talking about 1984 that this was the case. And he was talking about the River Cafe, which is a restaurant in Brooklyn that still exists. And it was very, very hip then. Not the London one. No. Okay. Which also existed then. But but no the the, one the in Dumbo? yeah that we would never go to. But uh, people still go. It's still like an event. The thing is now, that's for everyone. Going out to eat, I think on the Splendid Table this morning, 40% of meals are prepared or something. Even if you're only going to McDonald's, like most people are not cooking at home a lot. And I'd say that middle class to upper middle class people in that live in cities in particular, it's become you go out to eat at least two or three times a week. You spend a lot of your income on going out to eat. And when you're young, when you're in your early twenties, like when we were, we are both, I'm 37, you're about to turn 38. (laughs) But when we were, you know, when we moved here 15 years ago, we were not, we were going out to eat occasionally, but I was still going to shows. I wasn't spending all my money on food. That's for sure. Like when we started dating, we started to go to nicer places, but it wasn't like now if you're 22 and you have a little extra money, you're spending it to go to dimes or whatever. You're going to all the cute restaurants. Like that is a huge part of socializing now, even more. It's just every year it's gotten more and more and more. And we've already seen in the last two or three years or maybe five years, this popularity of the cookbook there's a lot of 
food personalities emerging, Alison Roman, Carla Lally, music from Bon Appetit, all the Bon Appetit people. They have really big followings on YouTube. Samin Nosrat, she had a Netflix show that was really popular. There is this kind of interest in home cooking and people want to become better cooks, but this is going to, as you talk about acceleration, it's just going to, everyone, all you can, you have to eat at home. We've ordered in twice in this last month. And every other meal we have cooked. Yeah. And so what does that mean when we're done with this? Not even initially, because initially it's going to be weird. And people are, I would assume that restaurants are only going to be able to have a certain amount of people per hour in the restaurant to be careful and all that stuff. But I'm talking about a year and a half from now when the restaurants that do survive are back up and running normal pace and building up their businesses again. Do we just go back to what we were doing, which is like, oh, we have to go to these two restaurants this week because we need to go see people? Or are we just going to be having people over to eat? And is it is it going to not, you know, is food culture going to change dramatically in the U.S.? I'm very curious to know what you think. I, I could see restaurants developing more robust takeaway programs. So one of the places we ordered from was this restaurant Claro in um, Gowanus, which is a Oaxacan, I believe it's Oaxacan Mexican restaurant. And it's so good. And it was really good. And we live far from them. It was very well done for takeout. Like I didn't feel, it did, of course it didn't look as nice but it didn't seem soggy. I didn't feel like the food was crap when we got here. You know how sometimes you order from a nice restaurant and you're just like, ugh, why, why would I ever yeah. – it has to be fresh. I thought they did an excellent job. They only, they only offered the stuff that would travel well. And I wonder if a, comp, a, a restaurant like that, which is really hard to get into. It's always super busy. The wait's always like two hours if you don't have a reservation – Will they create some sort of side program where they're doing delivery? Is that worth it? Are the unit, you know, are the margins big enough to make that kind of service worth it? Can they make it affordable enough to operate to make it worth it? Do you, what do you think is going to happen in terms of like behavior around eating out and eating in? I mean, it depends on a lot of factors that we don't know about yet. Like, how long, well, how many people are unemployed and therefore just don't have income yeah. for a while? The safety and health situation, like, are we going to have to stay six feet away from other people for a long time? In which case, like, most New York City dining rooms just won't be able to exist. Yeah. Um, what happens to corporate dining, which is the, you know, a large part of the revenue and profits for big restaurants is through corporate dining. What happens to travel? Like will people from other cities be able to come and visit New York restaurants and, and check them out? Or, you know, especially, you know, we think about restaurants like Noma where basically probably most people are traveling somewhere to eat there. Um, that's a lot of factors. I mean, I think that, my guess is that you and I are going to want to get out of the house when we can, when it's safe. We'll probably be more cautious about it, but 
I think we're going to want to get out of the house at some point. Um, I would imagine that, especially if the government unscrews its response program and like makes it so that not every restaurant and small business closes and goes out of business permanently because of this downturn that's happening, like a lot of places will reopen. I think delivery, like this is something that David Chang talks a lot about on his podcast, like delivery only right now works for certain types of food. It really doesn't work for other types of food. Yeah. And the current business model of delivery also really only works for certain types of food. Like Chipotle won't shut up about how awesome delivery is because a burrito bowl, you know, you don't really care too much about the temperature. The texture is not going to be really affected. The iceberg lettuce is not going to melt. Um, you know, it's $12. They'll charge you for delivery or right now it's free. Uh, you know, they're very happy to have delivery. Other restaurants, especially ones that make a lot of their revenue and profits from alcohol sales. And right now they're, they're actually allowed to sell alcohol for delivery. And we were able to get two nice bottles of wine for pickup from a restaurant for basically retail pricing. Um, it's tri- it's tricky. It really depends on the cuisine. Like a lot of, you know, I did an interview for a new consumer with Jessica Coslow of Squirrel about a year ago before any of this happened. And she said one of the surprising things about her business was how so much of it was becoming to go, whether it's uh, carry out or delivery. And that, that one of the problems that was kind of unexpected from that is just a lot of cooks don't want to make food that's going to go in a cardboard box. Yeah. They want to make food that looks nice, that is as much art as it is, you know, chemistry. And certain cooks don't care, but certain cooks do. And, you know, it's been really inspiring to see a lot of restaurants shift into this um, improvisational mode where they're cooking to survive and also cooking to feed people who need to eat as opposed to people who are looking for the most artful plating presentation. But I assume a lot of that's going to go back. You know, the the people who were drawn to the culinary arts are still going to want to make great creations and have a dining room that feels like, you know, another world and that sort of thing. I don't think that's going to go away. Um, but because the system is so complex, because it relies on travel and tourism, because it relies on density and corporate dining and, you know, certain number of covers per night and still barely makes a profit, you know, most restaurants, um, it's, it's, it seems to me like it's not going to be a great situation. There's going to need to be a lot of reinvention. You know, one of the great Twitter follows of this crisis has been Nick Kakonis, who's the uh, he's the, the one of the founders and partners of the Alinea Group in Chicago, which is you know Alinea and um, Aviary and a few other restaurants and, and cocktail places, but is also the CEO of Talk, which is a restaurant reservation and ticketing system. And his whole thing right now is he's like, we need to change it. The 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 we need to get rid of tipping now nationwide, and just institute a service charge. The 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 front of house, back of house, uh, like waiters make too much money, cooks don't make enough money. It, you know, all the economics are screwed. Like, there's a lot of underlying bad stuff in the restaurant business. I don't know. Like, again, I don't know how deep this is going to go. Whether this causes really mass 
transformation of that field enough to necessitate things like the entire economic model changing. I mean, it is shitty that everyone who's out of work right now is also losing their health insurance. Like that is a real problem for millions and millions of people in this country right now that I, I can't say will be something that we address after this, but I really hope it is. And same goes with like the fact that that restaurant people are, have to quote this like absurdly low hourly amount as their income to get unemployment because they make so much money off tips. Like all this stuff is just really screwed up. And I don't know, maybe I should go back and study the great depression or something like that, or, or the flu pandemic from 1918 and see what other structural changes happen after it or, or even the wars. Um, yeah, I think we need to look at what happened post world war two and post great depression, both yeah. because I think that the, this is the only comparable thing. Anyone who's talking about 2008 right now, I think they finally stopped. But even at the beginning of this week, people were like, well, this happened in two, th- this is in 2008. No, this is 2008 Katrina and nine 11 happening all at the same time. And you can't touch anyone and you can't get on the subway and all the buildings are still standing. And, yeah. Yeah. So it, the hope is that all of this tragedy and catastrophe will result in massive shifts and progression and acceleration of all these consumer behaviors that were changing already. Whether or not stuff is going to change as much as we, as I hope it does, or as it needs to, the thing you were talking about, what Jessica Costler was saying about plating. Then you think of sugar fish, which you get that delivered and it's beautifully plated, you know? Yeah. So there there are, this is the time to be more creative. And, you know, the industry that I cover fashion is so fucked up in a very similar way that restaurants are very low margin business, really screwed up the way that they sell. The way clothes are sold is screwed up. It's also screwed up the terms that, makers of clothes get it screwed up the terms that manufacturers of clothes get you know it's just not an efficient model so the hope would be that it would this would push forward all these things that people have been asking for for a long time such as all the independent designers kind of working together to negotiate with retailers on terms so that none of them get screwed that type of thing, people collaborating, working together more, or more people just selling directly. The, the interesting thing for me is by no means are the small direct-to-consumer brands, are they not hurting right now? They are, but for a lot of them, because they don't have as much overhead, they're smaller, they're still selling some stuff, they're much better off than the brands that were really deeply connected to other stores. And so it's been interesting to see. We have a story coming out about this Spanish brand, Baba, which is really, really nice knitwear. And my friend Britt actually bought one of their sweaters. It's like perfect for this because it's stuff you actually would want to wear at home, but it's really well cut and really beautiful and not that expensive. She she said, and, you know, it's this really small business, so her saying that things are going well, it's not that hard 
to, you know, it's not that many. She's not selling a ton of stuff, but she's still selling stuff. And she hasn't had to fire anyone. Her staff is really tiny, but she's been able to keep her sewers. She's been able to keep her distribution people. She's been able to keep her designers. And so I think that my hope is that it does really force stuff that we've all been saying needs to happen to happen. I think the likelihood of that really depends on how bad it gets. Yeah. And that's scary. Like hopefully people will are already starting to think of solutions to the problems they're going to have a year and a half from now, but that's really hard to do when you can't pay your employees and you're worried that some of them aren't going to have like a place to live or, or what have you. And so, but I do think I didn't want to get too deep into that stuff on here. I think the future looking stuff is what's really interesting. And, you know, yeah, I'm, I would like if we keep doing this to talk more about as, as we go on, what we think are, what we think the changes are going to be. I want to know what you're seeing people investing in which categories, what, we don't have to talk about that today, but what, what categories are people investing in? What are people actually buying? Like, what are they spending their money on if they haven't lost their job yet? And, and are people getting more nervous about losing their job or are they getting more comfortable about not losing their job and then spending more? What are the industries that are thriving right now? Online grocery delivery. Yeah. So let's talk about that next time because it's All right. a piece of crap, but we've been talking for way too long. Cool. We'll Is there also anything talk else about, you want to add? Yeah, we'll talk about it next time, though. Oh, the masks thing? Yeah, next time. Maybe we'll have some by then. Yeah, let's, let's discuss it. it. That's a crazy situation. Yeah. But we should also be looking at Asia because a lot of the stuff that we're implementing now have been, has been going on there for 10 years. So. All right, we'll do our homework. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Um, send us... Questions, comments, feedback, um, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or if you, whatever. If you say anything about my vocal fry, though, you're a jerk. I will cut you. Yeah. Um, you can reach us on Twitter at FromDome or La Premidi. Parlez-vous français? Un petit peu? Oui. Oui. Uh, send us email, hello at theneedleandthemouse.com. Or sign up for The New Consumer at newconsumer.com. And definitely sign up for Business of Fashion, but you, you already have. You already have. Our thanks, as always, to Alan Lawrence for this theme music. Thanks, Alan. We miss you. We miss you, Alan. I'm glad I got to see Alan in Japan last year before uh, we couldn't get on a plane anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy for you. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>